And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Oscar goes to... My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 145 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Time of recording, 11.15 a.m. on June 2nd. 2019. Happy Pride Month, everyone out there. All of our LGBTQ friends out there who support and love us, we support and love and stand by you as well. Here to join me on this podcast day, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Deanne Knighton. Hi. And Casey Lee Clark. Hello. So it's not just Pride Month uh, for June. It's also the beginning of the summer movie season. Although one could also argue that the summer movie season is year long now, considering all of the blockbuster movies that we have uh, all year. It used to just be in the summer, but now that's not entirely true. However, the weather is changing. Things are looking much brighter outside, and we are still heading to the movies. On today's podcast, we are going to be going over the movies that we are most looking forward to throughout the summer. We are also going to be touching on some news topics and discussing two trailers for The Goldfinch and also The Kitchen. We're going to answer some fan questions, go over the polls. We've got lots to talk about, but before we get to all of that, let's ask everyone what they've been catching up on this week. Michael, I'll start off with you. What have you seen at home or in the movie theater this week? Well, Matt, believe it or not, this is such a departure from my usual response here. I saw three movies this past week. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. That's good because I did bad. It's like the so Michael, Michael of old. Yeah. I know. Great. I don't know what's happening here. It's like we got in a time machine to go back to 2016. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I saw Aladdin on Memorial Day. And I knew I was probably going to like it more than most people because I usually respond to these Disney live action reboots. But I just wasn't expecting it to be anything as good as like Beauty and the Beast or something like that. And it still wasn't as good as Beauty and the Beast. But I got to say, I had a great time with Aladdin. It's not perfect. The CGI is really questionable. Guy Ritchie doesn't know his way around a musical number to save his life. But just seeing these performers, like, I thought they were all great, except for Jafar, who was pretty wooden. But I, I still don't understand that casting decision. That still baffles me. Yeah, he, he was not very good. But Will Smith is the best he's been in years. It was like reminding me of why I love Will Smith in the first place. Like, there was a little bit of fresh Prince vibe going on there, and I really appreciated that. He was having fun. Yeah, he was having such a good time, and it was such a relief to see that it wasn't what we feared from the trailer. So he was great. I loved, uh, what's her name, Naomi Scott. Oh, yeah, no, she's fantastic. She's going to be like Emma Stone, I think. She's going to explode after this. I hope so. I mean, she was in Power Rangers, which unfortunately was kind of a non-starter in many ways. But hopefully with a uh, combo of that and this. Yeah, I I think that given the right roles uh, moving forward, I definitely think that she could become one of our uh, great breakout actresses. Yeah, she was very impressive. And Amina Masood, who played Aladdin, he just had such charisma. I love that guy. Yeah. yeah. Did Did you feel that he was at times maybe trying too much to mimic the original animated performance 
Maybe, but I didn't really have a problem with that. I just found him so thoroughly charming throughout the movie. So in Michael terms, yes, but who cares? <laughs> yeah. It was just a really good time with the movies. It's not great art. It shouldn't even get tech nominations for the Oscars because it's sort of like overwrought and a little too much, but I had a fun time watching it. Yeah, I mean, like, I like the costumes. I like the production design. Uh, the cinematography is still probably the worst I've seen in any movie this year. But yeah. I can't deny it, Michael. I, I had a blast with it as well. And a lot of that does ride on the back of the nostalgia of the original film in many ways. Has everyone else here had a chance to see Aladdin? I haven't yet. I, I have not either. Huh. Yeah. It's <laughs> worth checking out. Like you hear a whole new world and obviously it's not as good as the animated version of that. But just hearing that song in a theater over the speakers, it like brings back some nostalgia goosebumps. So speaking of uh, nostalgic musical Goosebumps. I'm sure that wasn't the only music-based film that you saw this week. That's right. Uh, then later in the week, checked out Rocket Man, which uh, has seems to taken up the conversation on film Twitter this past week. Uh, Rocket Man. I love Elton John music, so I was very eager to go see this. And I think Taron Egerton is astonishingly great in this movie. This totally encapsulates Elton John and his personality, his style. I felt like I was watching a young version of him. So that was really incredible. Movie itself, though, not a huge fan of. I think it's a little too cliched and falls into those music biopic trappings that we try to avoid. And while I liked some of the ideas that it was trying to pull off in execution, it just didn't work for me how they incorporated these musical numbers into different parts of his life. Like it opens with him as a young child and all his neighbors singing the bitches back. And I just, when I saw that, I couldn't get on board. And it worked here and there. And I admire that. And I enjoyed watching the movie, but it just, I, I wanted a little bit more out of it. Okay. Okay. And what was the third? The third was actually at home, a movie I've seen probably about four dozen times, but never oh. gets old. I, I'm going through and rewatching all the Toy Story movies. Oh, and in anticipation for the fourth one. Okay. Yes. So I just watched the first Toy Story again, which is wonderful, of course. And I'll be watching Toy Story 2 this week, my favorite of the trilogy. My favorite too. Oh, I don't know. I'm a three girl, but I'm a three person as well. <laughs> They're all so great. I, They're I'm, all so good. <laughs> I love the plane sequence and too. I love uh, when somebody loved me. So can't yeah, go wrong with any of them. All right, Casey. I only saw one movie in the theater this week, so Michael has me beat on that. Um, but I saw Rocket Man, and I'll be on the podcast review for that to tell more in detail of my thoughts. But if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I loved it so much. I'm maybe besides my mother, the biggest Elton John fan I know. And it completely sold me over. I loved all the musical numbers. I loved just the nice balance of that fun, but also like pretty dark at times. I will agree that the, I think the first half was a little bit better than the second half as far as the more like fun rise to fame aspect of it. But I, as a biased fan, I, I really loved it. So yeah. Okay. Deanne. Okay, so it was a really quiet week for me. I didn't make it to the theater. I did rewatch the first season of Big Little Lies, which held up to all of um, what I remember loving about that show. I actually really enjoyed the second watch. Um, so just gearing up, obviously, for that new season to drop. I can't wait. Um, and then uh, I did, uh, well, I caught up on Booksmart. That was actually probably technically last week, which was something that I really loved and enjoyed. I'm going to be seeing, trying to see Rocket Man later this afternoon before I hop on a plane. I'm, I'm headed on a 
journey over to Europe. And actually tomorrow night, Michael and Casey at least might appreciate this. I'm seeing Les Mis in the West End. And I have yes. not seen I haven't seen Les Mis since so I'm let's see. It's probably been like twenty five years. Like I saw it in Washington, DC when I was um about fifteen. And so this is like it feels like a journey to the other side of the world to like finally get to see this show again. So I'm so excited for that. Oh, that's great. I saw it on the West End too, and it's my favorite musical. So yay, excited for you. I've heard. I don't know. Like you guys probably would know our next best theater folk, but um, it, I heard that the uh, circular stage is going to be going away. That the the that this particular production, I guess, is going to be um, not happening anymore. Have you guys? Yeah, heard that? they did away with it in the most recent revival on Broadway. They got rid of the turntable. I happened to see that one. It was actually very good, even though it's not the original staging. I don't know if they've gotten rid of it yet in the West End. Nicole would know that better than any of us. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they do it tomorrow night for you. I can't wait. So I'll, I'll come back and report on that when I get back in town. I had a lot of watching done this week, actually, both at home uh, and less so in the movie theater. Um, in the movie theater, I revisited The Last Black Man in San Francisco. It was my second time seeing the film after seeing it back at Sundance. It should be releasing here, I believe, uh, this week, actually, in limited release. And it was originally my second favorite film of the year, but upon a rewatch, I actually found uh, some things about it that I was a little less than enthusiastic about it the second time around. Um, and it's knocked it down a little bit for me since then. Not terribly so. It's still one of my favorite films this year, and I think that Joe Talbot is a director to definitely keep an eye on. Uh, Jimmy Fails uh, and Jonathan Majors give really two excellent performances, but this is a movie where the cinematography and the music are just so outstandingly good that it really gets a lot of brownie points from me as a result. Um, I highly urge everyone to check it out when it does release. It is something to uh, definitely get excited over as far as just new talent is concerned. Uh, then I revisited at home uh, the Gareth Edwards Godzilla film from 2014, and I was hoping that I would be a little more positive on it than I was when I initially first saw it, and that wasn't the case. <laughs> I still think the movie takes a nosedive once Brian Cranston exits the movie, because uh, I think that he actually was w what was elevating the film in the first half. And then I saw Godzilla King of the Monsters in theaters, and I was one of those people who could not get over the dumb human characters, the terrible dialogue, the asinine, insane plot with so many holes and leaps in logic uh, that I really couldn't enjoy all the big, dumb monster fun that was going on. So I know for some people, that's what they were going to see. They got that, and they're okay with it, and they let everything else slide. I was in the exact opposite camp. Uh, and you can hear more of my thoughts on that on this week's podcast review. Uh, but also on the other end, I've been catching up on a lot of TV in anticipation for the Emmys. So I started watching Ozark uh, on Netflix, finished season one. I'm starting season two today, which I know is the season that's eligible for this year's Emmy contention. But I have to say, I really, really enjoy it so far. Um, I really like stories like Breaking Bad, Bloodline, where... You know, human characters mixed up in a world of crime and the stakes just keep on building and building and building and you're wondering how the heck are they going to get out of this? It's really, really intense stuff with some really great performances from Jason Bateman, Laura Linney, and um, uh, Julia, I think her name is Julia Gordon? Gardner? No, I, Julia I, Gardner. Ju okay, gotcha. She's, she's fantastic. 
Uh, so I, I'm really enjoying that. And then I also caught up on uh, Chernobyl finally, which uh, that's only oh, I can't wait to start that. five episodes long. I believe the uh, final episode airs tonight. It is incredibly well done. Very, very bleak. But my God, it is. It's it, it, it's it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, but the one thing that really floored me this week was Ava DuVernay's miniseries on Netflix called When They See Us, which is only four parts long. Uh, so it's essentially like one giant four hour movie about the Central Park Five. And I have to tell you, I have not seen something that I can recall in recent memory that made me just cry, openly weep for four hours straight because each episode has a moment or even a few moments that are just soul crushing absolutely soul crushing it's a really really tough watch at times because of how honest and realistic it is in terms of um just how horrible uh that community uh had it from from the police and uh, the media and it's 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 really it's really emotionally affecting, I, I, I have to say. So it, I, I, I give it the highest recommendation possible for anyone out there to check it out. But at the same time, I also uh, want to just preface by saying that it is a, a tough watch at times because of how brutally honest it can be. So all the awards for when they see us, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, I'm very much looking forward to catching up with that. I almost want to watch it in one viewing. So when I have like a four hour chunk just to go through all of it. I did. Um, I had to take breaks in between now because it was a lot at times. Um, I, I actually ended up finishing up a box of tissues <laughs> in, the, in that evening. Uh, not the whole box. I, I had like only a few left, but, you know, I, it was gone by the time it was over. So, <laughs> you know, Matt, it would not be a podcast with Casey and I on here if we didn't at least make one more reference to Fosse Verdon, oh. which you need to catch up with when you're done all these other shows, because. Michelle Williams, that woman is giving the performance of her life. And the finale was just this past week. Casey, was that not remarkable? I Yeah, the whole thing is just fantastic. And I think both as a theater fan, but also as a film fan, I think that it's essential. So. Yeah, it's about an artist and the struggle. And, you know, Bob Fosse, one best director. He's a film guy. What network so. it is, that, is it on again? FX. 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 Okay, all right. And now you can just binge the whole thing. All eight episodes are done. And it's just Fosse and Gwen Verdon. You, know, you think it's all just going to be about Bob Fosse with Gwen Verdon in the background. But, oh, no, she takes agency of this whole show and it becomes the Gwen Verdon story. So you see all about how this woman who is a Broadway legend in her own right doesn't always get the attention she deserves. And now she's made out to be a figure as big as her husband. I'm not a big TV person, but definitely this season specifically, all these limited series that are going to be eligible for this year are so good. And I'm like very like that's going to be my like big categories this year of just like I've seen all this stuff. I know all these things and it's all so good. So sometimes I look forward to the miniseries category more so than even the drama comedy categories um, because they are yeah, it changes every year. Yeah. And, you know, and you can watch them in pretty limited sittings They're the you know, they're it's one and done. You know, so the emotional investment, you don't have to get wrapped up in, oh, I was watching this show for three seasons and then they pulled the plug on it and they canceled it. And now my hopes and dreams are utterly crushed, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so that that's one thing I really love about miniseries. And it's something that uh, this year in particular, like you said, Casey, with also sharp objects, um, a very English scandal, 
the house on haunting no the haunting on hill i don't even know what the hell that was called the haunting on hill house yeah um but uh, there's so many different contenders this year a wide variety uh of options i mean deadwood the movie for goodness sake <laughs> it's crazy hello everyone this is jd from the in session film podcast each week we review the latest from hollywood california well yes brendan we also give top three lists okay yeah thanks again brendan Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? That's oh, what you're I, I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy that. That's just how it works. <laughs> All right, so now looking forward to the summer movie season and what's going to be happening on the big screen this summer, uh, Beatrice Loiza wrote a great article uh, previewing 12 movies that are on our radar the most. I'm actually going to go through that list. It's in chronological order. But then when we're done, we'll also talk about any other movies that we feel were not on the list that you are specifically looking forward to this summer. Uh, first up, though, coming out on June 14th, that is ultimately a few days from now, a little less than two weeks, we have Men in Black International with Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson reteaming from Thor Ragnarok. Uh, what do we think about this one here, uh, where we're not only going international, but we also have uh, Tessa Thompson as a female uh, Men in Black member uh, in the lead role here, paired up with uh, Chris Hemsworth. Let me tell you, Tessa Thompson in a suit. I- I'd watch that trailer again. <laughs> That's what I'm the most excited for. I love Tessa Thompson, so I'll show up for that. I'm kind of lukewarm on the idea itself, just probably just because, like everybody, I'm a little weary of some of these um, reimaginations to some degree. Unfortunately, I tend to have my guard up going in, but sometimes things can surprise me. So hopefully that will be the case here. Film is being directed by F Gary Gray, who, uh, previously his last two films, Fade the Furious and Straight Outta Compton. Uh, before that he had done the Italian job, law abiding citizen Friday. So, uh, definitely a very diverse, uh, career there with a lot of different projects. Uh, but also co-starring in this, we have got Kumail Nanjiani playing a small alien, Liam Neeson, Emma Thompson. So if anything, this could be one of those movies where it's just light, good fun. And of course, the chemistry between Thompson and Hemsworth. I mean, how could you best that up? <laughs> if it gets good reviews, I'll go because I do like the Men in Black movies. I haven't seen the third one yet, but the first two, of course, are lots of fun. I think you would like the third one, Michael. Uh, Josh Brolin's impersonation of Tommy Lee Jones is absolutely stellar <laughs> in yeah, that in one. Hindsight, I don't know why I didn't see it. Yeah. I probably should have, and it seems fun. Uh, next up on the list, uh, we've got Child's Play coming out June 21st with Mark Hamill doing the voice of Chucky, also starring Brian Tyree Henry, Aubrey Plaza. Uh, so in regards to Chucky and his history at the movies, uh, is anyone here a fan of the franchise? What do we think about this uh, reboot that's coming out here being directed by Lars Kievberg? I like the first two. They were good fun, the first two Child's Play movies. 
Yeah, the first two are great. I enjoy, uh, I definitely enjoy these. Um, they're crazy and they get crazier and crazier. So even the later ones, if you watch them like with the right spirit in mind, you can enjoy them because they're just insane. Um, it's a little tough when Chucky starts talking a lot more. Uh, you know, the first one, he really, I don't even remember if he says anything. All the horror fans out there could tell me, but he says very little. And then obviously as his character develops, he starts talking more and more. And then the camp kind of takes over the series a little bit. So interesting here that you have, you know, Mark Hamill voicing it and it'll, it'll be, uh, interesting to see how they balance that. Uh, there was just a remake a couple of years. Oh, it's probably like three or four years ago, or excuse me, not, not even a remake, just a sequel that came out that I actually really quite enjoyed um, that I would recommend to people. So um, anyway, yeah, let's do it. Releasing the same day, June 21st, Toy Story 4, directed by Josh Cooley. Have you seen the marketing that Child's Play has been doing in relation to Toy Story 4? Oh, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I love that they're coming out on the same day and they are just ripping off the posters and putting an evil twist on them. That is so, so fantastic. I like any time a marketing team does stuff like that. I think that because that can catch my eye as somebody who's not really looking into that. So that's yeah, it's good. Uh, but Toy Story 4, I, I I got to admit, I'm not excited for this film. Really? Yes. And the reason why I'm not excited is because I thought Toy Story 3 was such a perfect conclusion to the Andy and Woody story that to see more adventures. I, now, granted, I, I don't really know if they have let on fully what the full plot is. There might be some other element that they are withholding from us uh, that could give this the boost that is needed. Uh, I am somewhat I am somewhat interested in revisiting these characters that I've loved since my childhood. Don't get me wrong. But on a story level, I can't help but view this as a, as a cash grab right now, unless if while watching, there's something that unfolds that tells me, OK, this is the reason why they chose to come back. Here's what I can say about that, because I do know a little bit about what's going on. Oh, no, no, no. I'd rather I'd rather you not spoil it. No, for no, me, no, if no that's not okay about now. plot, but just, oh, okay. just about why we have a fourth Toy Story movie. There's with Pixar in recent years, you have seen them go a, a little bit toward the cash grab route with all these cars movies and a few like finding dory they will do sequels every once in a while toy story they were they are only going to go back into the well if there's a reason to because they understand it's such a beloved property even more so than everything else they have in the pixar canon so if they didn't have a reason to tell the story here they wouldn't be doing it and based on what i've inferred about this movie there's a reason to be telling the story it's not just oh we need to make some more money i'm like you though matt i'm also on the fence, I guess I should say. Yeah, I, I, you know, maybe that's maybe that's for the better because then I'll go with my expectations low. And there have been times where I've gone into a Pixar film with zero expectations, and I've been completely blown away. Like I remember seeing Up in two thousand nine. And wow, that's ten years ago. It just had its anniversary last week. Yeah, and I remember saying to myself. Uh, this plot just looks so wacky. I don't know. Like, I, I, it, I, you know, it just didn't appeal to me on a on a surface level. But of course, when you watch it, you find out what the story is really about, and it's deeply affecting. So I'm, I'm genuinely hoping that Toy Story can do that with me here. But I am heading into it with a bit of bias against it. I have to admit, choice it's going to be more up than Finding Dory. Okay. Well, hopefully. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man: Far From Home, July second. 
Tom Holland returning as Spider-Man. This time around, we've got Jake Gyllenhaal joining the MCU as Mysterio. I can't resist my standalone Spider-Man movies, even if I couldn't care less about Avengers. I like just seeing Spider-Man. Wow, that's impressive. If it's getting the Michaels Michaels going, then everybody's got to go. Spider-Man <laughs> and I had this relationship going back to when I was like six or seven. And I love those Sam Raimi movies and the character yeah. itself. I saw the ones with uh, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. So it's like, for the standalones, I'll go see what Spider-Man's up to. Yeah, definitely. I'm excited for this. It's going to be interesting to see sort of the fallout from Endgame, if, you know, how much that kind of plays in. But I bet you it's not much. I bet you'll be fine. It sounds like it'll be fine to just kind of watch on its own. I'm excited to see the relationship between Holland and Zendaya grow and evolve in this film. That's uh, maybe the most intriguing element for me. I know most people are pretty excited about Jake Gyllenhaal, but I'm more interested in um, what aspects of Peter Parker's personal life they explore in this film, especially in, after the, uh, a- in the aftermath of Avengers Endgame. Uh, Midsommar, July yeah. 3rd, Ari Aster's follow-up to Hereditary starring Florence Pugh. Oof. I'm excited for this one. Yeah, me too. I don't think that this will be getting the same awards traction as Hereditary did for uh, Tony Collette, but I am still very excited because that trailer, just the, the 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 aesthetic and how he's shooting this film, it it looks so totally uh, totally different than what was offered in Hereditary with its dark cinematography. That I'm just interested to see as an artist what Ari Aster has to provide with this. Agreed. And of course, Florence Pugh is one of the most up-and-coming, exciting stars yeah, to watch out for. I mean, she's great in Lady Macbeth. She was great in Fighting With My Family. She is definitely someone to watch out for. So, very, very much looking forward to that. Uh, Then on July 12th, The Farewell, Lulu Wang's debut film uh, that I actually had the privilege of seeing at Sundance, starring Aquafina in the lead role. And I can just say, you know, hands in the air, this film is flat out phenomenal and if you all don't go buy a ticket to see it opening weekend i will come after you i I saw the trailer and right when the trailer ended i thought oh yeah this is probably gonna end up on my top 10 and i haven't even seen the movie yet yeah, yeah, I can't wait to sometimes. It strikes such a great balance between its comedy and its drama. Um, it reminded me so much, in, not not in terms of story or even aesthetic, but just in terms of that balance of comedy and drama, something like Sideways or Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, where it has moments that make you that makes you laugh, but it's also very, very affecting on a human level, too. Uh, I remember just being reduced to a puddle of tears by the time the movie was over, and I remember thinking, oh, yeah, this is definitely, definitely my top five of the year so far. <laughs> uh, then on July 19th, Disney's animated remake. I'm, okay, I'm, I'm officially putting my foot forward on this. It is animation. Don't you dare. <laughs> it is animation. You CGI. Listen, animation is CGI in the Pixar films in the DreamWorks animation films. It's computer animation. What's the difference here? There is no live action element. This there was no so motion capture. There is no green screen. Is Life of Pi animated? No, Life of Pi has an actual live action element with its uh, human performances. So that's CGI. If this is 100% CGI with no live action reference points whatsoever on a stage or anything, then it is completely animated. 
It might be really good animation with a level of detail that is quite extraordinary compared to, well, really anything. <laughs> but it's still animation at that point if there's not a single live action element in the movie. Whatever it is, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, I, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just putting forward this case because once those, uh, uh, those, did you guys see those character posters that they came out with? Oh, and if yes, people were like yeah. so negative about them, and like it's supposed to look a bit overrealistic. If you want to see the actual depth of characters go see the original which is tremendous on its own but this is supposed to be looking like real lions in you know in africa i guess we should say we're talking about lion king i think yeah. <laughs> probably figured that out <laughs> quentin tarantino's once upon a time in hollywood yeah, right. yeah. Animated. <laughs> uh, it's gonna be great I, I i listen lion king is one of my top 10 favorite films of all time it's a film that had such an impact on me as a child and it still has an impact on me today. And I think Hans Zimmer's music in the original is some of the best ever created for any movie. So looking at this and if they just want to take everything exactly as is from the animated original and just put it in a computer with today's modern technology and say, here you go. I'm okay with that. Yeah. It's like, take my money now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm totally okay with that. If they start adding other plot elements and, you know, start tinkering around with the story and things like that, I, uh, well, <laughs> I don't know. They're not going down that route. What they're, what they are doing though, is I think they've added like maybe two new characters just to be around Simba. Like there's an elephant played by Amy Sedaris. And then they're taking a few songs from the musical. Which is okay. The musical is great. When I hear he lives in you on that big screen, I will be weeping. <laughs> I am 90% certain that is going to be there because Julie Taymor is an executive producer on this movie. I just, I was on the fence about this. And then that first teaser trailer dropped and I was, I was home at the time. And I remember my mom and I watching it, who's also like the biggest Lion King fan. And we both just had like tears in our eyes. And I'm just like, what's happening? Cause it's the music. And I'm like, they've got me. Like, I don't. Do I think it's necessary? No. But am I going to go? Yeah. I'm X3D for this one. So the the big question right now, and I'm sure this will get asked a lot throughout the year. As of today, Michael Schwartz, is it both a visual effects and animated feature contender? Is it one or the other? What do you think as of right now? I think at the end of the day, it's just going to land in visual effects. Casey? I agree because I think that the category confusion and the discourse will make it like it doesn't end up in animated i think it'll be eligible but i don't think it'll make it in the nominees yeah dn i'm in agreement with that too i think something's gonna have to give with how we're interpreting this kind of new world of live action cgi and i think this could be the year for that i think it's going to be a contender for animated and i don't think it's going to get nominated that's where i stand as of today and Unless if they actually prove, unless if John Favreau actually proves that there was some sort of live action element, which according to interviews that he's given so far, he has pretty much said that that's not the case. He's essentially confessed that it is fully done 100% within a computer. I, I, I don't, I don't see why they shouldn't submit it for animation, but I, but I agree that the controversy discourse and everything else that's surrounding it might prevent it from actually getting a nomination. It would be amazing though, uh, because when you think about it this way, the original Lion King in 1994 was not nominated for best animated feature because there was no best animated feature category. So wouldn't it be 
interesting to say the least if this film were to get in and it is a pretty much carbon copy remake of the original and if you love the original so much why wouldn't you vote for it <laughs> does the top uh, but i digress uh, avengers in the domestic box office charts i'm gonna go with no i say no seeing how well avengers did i thought it was gonna do like 700 and now it's at 815 I think it's going to come pretty close. I think we're talking about like $750 million Lion King remake here. Yeah, I agree. It's going to definitely come close, but I think Avengers performed better than better than expected. Most people did expect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think Lion King at the end of the day will be a top five all time box office champ. July 26, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, boy. Hey, listen, regardless of the controversy surrounding the writer-director himself, I always look forward to uh, the style that he brings to his movies, the performances that he gets out of his actors. And from what I've been hearing, Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio give two of the best performances of their career in this film. And I'm... (laughs) You know, what else can I say at that point, right? I'm in the back for anything Tarantino does. Just sign me up. Yeah, even with all that the shit that he pulls it's still my most anticipated movie of the year probably personally just like both as a fan of his and as a fan of the time period i've slowly realized like there's a very hyper specific genre i love of ensemble movies that take place in like the 60s 70s but weren't made then you know like days and confused boogie nights all that nonsense and i think also just knowing how big of a fan he is of the film history and like so i'm wondering what like references he'll pull i can't even imagine how great that soundtrack's gonna be i just want to see it i think that's the big thing it's like most anticipated as far as wanting to see it the most yeah right i'm i'm in let's do it a film that i have been hyping up since sundance coming out on august 2nd from neon is loose which stars octavia spencer naomi watts tim roth and kelvin harris jr uh this film is directed by uh the director who did the Cloverfield Paradox, which was one of my Ooh. least favorite movies. And <laughs> so heading helpful. into this at Sundance, I was seeing it strictly just for the cast, and I had absolutely no expectations, and I was completely knocked on my ass by this film. And it's still currently standing as my favorite film of the year so far. Um, I haven't written an official review for it yet because I want to see it one more time before I do because this is a very dense movie with so much going on. Uh, I just want to make sure that I do it justice before talking about it. But yeah, I this, this as far as any movie I've seen f- so far this year, uh, this has my highest recommendation of all. Yeah, I'm I've so also seen it, go. and it's it's pretty brilliant. There's scenes in it, and I like keep. I feel like I should just text you about this, Matt, because I feel like there's scenes in it that I keep forgetting that no, like not the entire world hasn't seen yet that I like will think about. Wow, frequently wow. it's very, yeah. It's very interesting and very powerful. I think the screenplay and the cast are just phenomenal. I don't even know what it's about, and I don't want to know what it's about. I just want to go in because I feel like it's one of those movies that just unravels with the story and gives you more and more and more as it goes oh, along. Oh, yeah. Yep. It, it's, <laughs> it's, oh my God. It's a domestic nightmare of a film that just keeps getting more and more twisted as the screenplay organically develops throughout. I mean... I will say this: one of the greatest decisions that they made in the screenplay was to make Calvin Harris Jr. a uh, the captain of of the debate team in his high school. So when he does like his verbal sparring with other characters in the movie, he just like it's just fire, whip crack fire replies that the screenplay offers him, and it fits in so so well, and it just makes the 
uh, scenes between the actors so energetic and so exciting to watch. It's it's phenomenal. I was doing some early Oscar predicting this past week as we start to build our charts over at Next Best Picture. And this was one where it seems like, okay, August release could be hit or miss, but maybe at least the screenplay or Octavia Spencer from what I understand. Yeah, I'm going with that myself. I actually think that Octavia Spencer will get another nomination for this and quite possibly a second win. Wow. I, I think it's the best thing she's ever done. Uh, Casey, do you agree? Yeah. And I think Ma coming out, even though like the reviews have been mixed, everybody agrees that she's phenomenal in that too. And so That'll I think that help. like it's just the yeah. year of the year of Octavia Spencer, and I'm living for it. Cool. Uh, next up is another film uh, that I've seen so far, and a film that I don't know if I'm necessarily so excited to see again. Not for its quality, but just because it's a very upsetting and hard watch. On August second, we have The Nightingale, Jennifer Kent's follow up to The Babadook coming out okay so the warnings on the visuals like so is it really necessary i mean i because you've seen it so Mm -hmm. i mean we we all see a lot of stuff at the movie theater on the screen do you feel like there's something really that that is that drastic here that it requires that warning let me put it to you this way and this is um this is a comparison that i've been saying since i saw it back in uh january is that for me i would equate it to the brutality and the level of violence in it, it's not so much like gore, Mm -hmm. you know, on the level of, say, a saw or a hostile or anything like that. It's just violence that is depicted so realistically that it's genuinely stomach-churning and upsetting. Think think Schindler's List or 12 Years a Slave, where it's really horrible because of how well acted, well directed, how real it feels and how emotionally connected you feel to it. That's that's what it's like. And does it is it quite like a long scene too? Does it kind of go on and on where like you don't really get they don't break away? There is one scene in the movie that is yeah. Uh it it's it's a it's a pretty hard scene. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. I'm going to have to gear myself up. But I commend Jennifer Kent so much uh, for not pulling back any punches, for telling the story like it is. And really just it's one of the bravest films I can recall seeing in such a long period of time because of that unrestraint. Moving on from that, uh, August 9th, Guillermo del Toro presents Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. I'm excited. I read this book growing up, and I thought the trailer made it look a lot better than I expected it to look. So actually, the trailer kind of turned me to being more excited than I thought I was. Yeah, I mean, like this along with It, Chapter yeah. 2, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see some quality horror. And then finally, August 14th. My birthday. <laughs> Yay! Hope you're a Bruce Springsteen fan because we have Blinded by the Light coming out on that day. Another film that I had the chance to see over at Sundance, and, uh, you know, we like to make comparisons sometimes to just give an idea for some people, like a reference point of what to expect. This, to me, was very uh, Sing Street hmm. in regards to, uh, yeah, exactly. Like, it's the That's kind of thing, thing that, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to definitely be a huge crowd pleaser. I think a lot of people are genuinely going to love it. It's funny. It's relatable. Because one, one thing I really appreciated about this is that it's told from... Uh, this young kid's uh, perspective, uh, you know, it takes place in uh, in, in in England in a town uh, called uh, Luton. Uh, but it's also 
it really just goes to show you that even though the, the lead character is a Pakistani living in uh, England in 1987, here today in 2019, music is universal. And it transcends time, it transcends uh, gender, it transcends race. And that's the power of this movie that I really, really loved. And it, it's going to warm your hearts. So I think you are all going to really love it. Can't wait. Yeah, that looks like something I'll definitely enjoy. So that concluded uh, Beatrice's list of the 12 movies that the MVP team is mo- are most looking forward to uh, throughout the summer of 2019. Uh, looking at the full list, though, of other movies, uh, some things in between here and there, is there anything that was not mentioned that you yourself are particularly looking forward to? She did pretty great, actually. Uh, so obviously, I'm excited for Late Night this week. I'm sure that, you know, that's just coming out this week. Um, and I would say I I'm excited about Yesterday. I know there's mixed reviews out there, but... That is definitely something I'm still looking forward to checking out. I liked both of them, Deanne. I I, I enjoyed both of them. They're not going to make my top 10 or anything like that. But as far as two movies that I thoroughly enjoyed, I was very entertained by, I think you'll get what you're looking for out of them. Great. There's a movie on my list. It's actually uh, very close to the top of my most anticipated. But I'm not surprised it's not on the list because it's a very small title, not even a trailer for it yet. And it's being released at the end of August. Uh, right up my alley. It's called Fiddler, A Miracle of Miracles, and it's a new documentary all about the history of Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, Perfect my. for you. That <laughs> really is. Um, so, also, I'm excited about Where'd You Go, Bernadette, as well. That's mid-August. I think that would count I'm eager to see that. The, the trailers are getting yeah. better. Yeah, you're right. They are getting better. I'll see any Richard Linklater film. I'll see any Kate Blanchett film. I just have very low expectations because of the amount of times this film's been pushed off. I don't think that's necessarily because of quality, personally. I think every time they would get a date, there would be something around it that popped up at the same time. Like, Us was around the same time when it was scheduled for March. And then it goes to August. I know it had been scheduled for sometime in May. But I think they're just trying to fine-tune it a little bit and get it out. We've seen this happen before. Movies have turned out to be fine. Yeah. You're right, though, Michael. The marketing has much improved. This last trailer is much more intriguing than anything that was seen. It's like an empowerment movie, it looks like. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, I got to just say this, too. The trailer is, you know, when I talked earlier about how Godzilla wanted to be like this big, dumb, fun action movie, but kind of got caught up in some other elements that held it fully back from being that. And listen, if you're listening to this and you thought Godzilla King of Monsters was everything you wanted to be good for you, it just wasn't for me. The film, though, that on paper and looking at the trailer looks like it will satisfy that. I just want to watch something big, dumb, loud and fun is Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> Seeing Dwayne Johnson, Jason Statham, Idris Elba, and Vanessa Kirby, I, I don't know what it was, but that trailer was so bombastic, so over the top and unbelievable that I couldn't help but think to myself, you know what? If it comes out around the right time, this is just what I'm looking for. This could be a, this could be a good time at the movies, probably. I hope. <laughs> you know, there's a satire, like a dark comedy satire opening in July. Uh, it's an Israeli film, so of course I'm interested in that right off the bat. I don't know if it'll be a foreign language, or, sorry, international film contender at the Oscars this year, but it sounds pretty good. It's called Tel Aviv on Fire, and it's about an inexperienced young Palestinian man who be- ends up becoming a writer on a hit Israeli soap opera after a chance meeting with a soldier at, at the Green Line. Interesting. So I haven't heard about that at all. Yeah, uh, it's played at a few film festivals. I think it was at... Uh, 
Venice last year, maybe, and it's being held until the summer. So it's going to be an art house release in July. Seems like it'll do pretty well with uh, some of these suburban crowds. But I'm always interested in Israeli cinema because there's a lot of great stuff, especially comedies. There's a Israeli sensibility when it comes to dark comedies that really can't be duplicated. Uh, there is a political thriller uh, from Gavin Hood that I saw at Sundance called Official Secrets with Kira Knightley, Matt Smith, Matthew Good, and Ray Fiennes coming out. It it's, uh, tells the story of Catherine Gunn, who uh, leaked a secret memo exposing an illegal uh, operation uh, in regards to... Um, the United States trying to get other nations to cooperate in the war on terror and sign off on invading Iraq, which was something that obviously not everybody wanted to do. And they had no just cause or reasoning to do it, but they tricked everyone into doing it. So that's a that's actually a really good one in terms of if you're just looking for a good political thriller. I, I really enjoyed that. And I thought Kira Knightley was fantastic, as she usually is. Yeah, he's a pretty solid director when he wants to be. I know he had that terrible Wolverine movie and then Ender's Game, but rendition's pretty good i in the sky i thought was pretty thrilling back in 2016 oh yeah yeah definitely and he won an oscar for uh foreign back when it was foreign language film for toasty did he really yeah i didn't know that yeah i didn't realize he got the oh yeah you're right i, f- I didn't know that damn <laughs> i mean it didn't go to him it goes to the country but yeah yeah that's why i was there, like yeah. wait a minute i didn't know gavin ho was an oscar winner oh yeah but that makes sense <laughs> interesting uh, so another movie that uh, we haven't mentioned yet, but it is actually going to be the first trailer that we're going to talk about here on the podcast, comes out August 9th, uh, directed by Andrea Berloff, the screenwriter behind uh, films such as World Trade Center, uh, Straight Out of Compton, and Sleepless. This is her directorial debut. It's called The Kitchen, and it stars Melissa McCarthy, Tiffany Haddish, Elizabeth Moss, and a few others. Let's check out the trailer for this one and see what we think. Times change. You do what you gotta do. From kids. Most employers don't want mothers. It's a competitive market. You don't know me. For money, you survive. Now might be the time. For what? For you. Our husbands have 24 months left on their sentences. Sorry, baby. This is the Irish mob, organized crime. We're gonna take care of you. You girls are gonna be just fine. We got no money. Can't even make the rent with what they gave me last night. They didn't want me in the family in the first place. 40 years we pay protection and we don't get nothing for it. They have been telling us forever that we are never gonna do anything but have babies. Bunch of men that have forgotten what family means. So we remind them. You're pretty mama. Pretty doesn't matter, it's just a tool women use. For what? Anything we want. What do you want? We are gonna have crews everywhere. I can see you got brains, and I know you got money. But we got one thing that you don't. We got criminals. I told you we can't go around working for a bunch of women. You are not smarter than me. I will wipe you off the face of the earth. I don't want you to do it. I want you to teach me how to do it. Just to be clear, now we run this neighborhood. Step off my business. Baby, it's my business now. They're going to swallow this entire city. You go to war, there's no coming back. Alfonso Coretti wants to talk. If we go to Brooklyn, we're dead. 
What do you wear to something like that? You get dressed up? Are you kidding? What? My God, I lost count again. <laughs> this, hey, listen, you know, not all DC movies are superhero films, y'all. <laughs> but, uh, but in this instance, it uh, looks like this. I, I have to say, I was I was watching this. I, I didn't know what this was. I had no idea uh, what property it was based on. I didn't know anything. And as I'm watching the trailer, I'm, I'm seeing Melissa McCarthy. I'm seeing Tiffany Haddish. And I'm wondering, when are the jokes going to start happening? And I realize, oh, wait. There is no comedy. This is a serious movie. Wait a minute. <laughs> Tiffany Haddish is doing serious? What is going on here? And I, I have to say, there's a level of intrigue now that I have with this uh, that I was pleasantly surprised. It would be easy to dismiss this almost as Widow's Light. Yes, and it's going to be light. compared. It's going to be compared to that for sure. Yeah. But I, is it based on an existing property? Uh, it, it is, adapted. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the, I'm looking up this DC Vertigo, because uh, it's not actual DC, like DC Universe, it's an off-brand of it. And right. DC Vertigo apparently has not been a movie since 2010. This is their first movie since The Losers, and before that they did The Fountain, V for Vendetta, History of Violence, and Constantine. Exactly. So they're starting up that brand again. It looks interesting. Well, I'll tell you, I am kind of in for anything Elizabeth Moss Moss is up to lately. There's just something so intriguing about the projects she's been choosing. So I can't wait to see her. I think that part is a draw for sure. Obviously, Melissa McCarthy has been kind of hit and miss. But, um, you know, I I think obviously this is some of the patterns that have led to some of her bad uh, film choices don't seem to be a part of this particular project. So I'm very optimistic yeah, this seems less Tammy and more Can You Ever Forgive yeah, Me. There you so go. That's yeah. good. <laughs> exactly. Uh, strong supporting cast here, too. Bill Camp, who, uh, as anyone who listens to the podcast know, if Bill Camp is in your movie, you pretty much already get a higher than a 2 out of 10 rating from us. Sure. <laughs> Margot Martin- Martindale, uh, great, great character actress. Uh, Brian D'Arcy James, James Badge Dale. You know, there's definitely, oh, Common, Common's in this. Yeah. And then also some great Broadway people. You mentioned Bill Camp already and Brian Darcy James. Yeah, Will Swenson. And I'm looking at the list here. You know who else is in this movie, Casey? Oh. Brandon Uranowitz. Ah, my guy. That's great. Also, um, Domino Gleason. If you didn't mention that before, I was in the... Yeah, yeah, Donald Gleason, yeah. So, I mean, there's enough intriguing talent here. And definitely, like I said before, I, I was not... 100% 100% aware that Tiffany Haddish wanted to do roles like this uh, right now in her career, uh, based on everything that I've seen her been, you know, doing these past couple of years. So I'm really, really excited about that. Elizabeth Moss, of course, Melissa McCarthy, uh, looking to capitalize on some of the goodwill from Can You Ever Forgive Me, transferring it over to a crime drama film. I am worried about the Widows comparisons. I will admit to that. But at the same time... I hope that the period setting of this film will hopefully help to separate it and make it feel somewhat unique. And from a visual uh, standpoint, this trailer seems to suggest that. Yeah. I hated that Widows missed out on Oscar Love last year just because it was such a great movie and so deserving of all that praise. But at the same time, I think the fact that it sort of flew under the radar and missed the award season almost helps this movie because it won't have all those comparisons. Not everyone went out to go see it. Hmm. Hmm. 
Yeah, like point. in the general zeitgeist as opposed to just like film Twitter. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So now moving on from that, uh, we are now um, going to talk about the polls. Uh, so for last week, the polls centered around Rocket Man. And we asked everyone which was their favorite performance in a musical biopic. Lots of choices to choose from. So much so that we told everyone they could choose up to three. Choices included, I'm not going to say them all, F. Murray Abraham in Amadeus, Forrest Whitaker in Bird, Gary Busey in The Buddy Holly Story, Sissy Spacek in Coal Miner's Daughter, Chadwick Boseman, Get On Up, Kate Blanchett in I'm Not There, Marion Cotillard, La Vienne Rose, Aaron Taylor Johnson in Nowhere Boy, Jamie Foxx in Ray, Jennifer Lopez in Selena, Joaquin Phoenix Walk the Line, Angela Bassett in What's Love Got to Do With It. There was even a write-in option in case if the option was not provided. There were so many options here, people. So, so many that I, I, you know, I could ask you guys to give me a top three, but I'll ask for just one. Is there anything that comes to mind that you are particularly fond of from this genre? I have a soft spot for Walk the Line. I, I love Joaquin in that. What about uh, Reese? Are you a fan of her Oscar win? I am, actually. I also, I'm a huge fan of her in Big Little Lies. I think she is so good. Did you see Reese on uh, Billy on the Street this past week? <laughs> oh, God. No, is it a good one? Okay, I'm going to catch that. I'll watch that right after. Yeah, Deanne, definitely watch Reese Witherspoon on <laughs> Billy on the Street. It's, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I love Kevin Klein into Lovely as Cole Porter. That's one of my favorite performances. Um, I had said last week on the podcast, but I'm a big fan of Marion Cotillard and Lovian Rose. I also really loved uh, Taryn Edgerton and Rocketman this past week. Um, yeah, I think there's like so many on this list that you can't go wrong with. Um, Kate Blanchett and I'm Not There is also, I think, fantastic. Okay, and here are the top 10 voted performances from the MVP film community as their favorite musical biopic performances here we go number 10 rami malek as freddie mercury in bohemian rhapsody yikes (laughs) i know it's like it's amazing how like within our bubble of film twitter those who do not like it there's still so many people out there that really really like him it's it's insane uh jennifer lawrence i'm sorry not jennifer lawrence what am i I saying like wow number nine jennifer lopez as selena in selena now I want to see Jennifer Lawrence as Selena. Yeah. <laughs> Number eight, Reese Witherspoon as June Carter in Walk the Line. Number seven, Kate Blanchett as Bob Dylan in I'm Not There. Number six, Jamie Foxx as Ray Charles in Ray. Number five, Taryn Egerton as Elton John in Rocket Man. My boy. Number four. F. Murray Abram as Antonio Salieri in Amadeus. Number three. Angela Bassett as Tina Turner in What's Love Got to Do With It. Nice. Number two. Joaquin Phoenix as Johnny Cash in Walk the Line. And number one. Marion Cotillard as Edith P.F. in La Vienne Rose. You did good, everybody. You did good. Cotillard has, in my opinion, one of the best performances I've ever seen in any movie, ever. Such a well-deserving win. Yeah. So, 
I really, really love this list. I think the list uh, is pretty good, all things considered. There are some performances I wish had, uh, you know, made, made it in there, but you know what? I chalked that up to maybe they just aren't as widely seen. So that occasionally happens from time to time. But hey, you know what? You did good, everyone. Let's see how you all do this week with the release of Dark Phoenix coming out. We are asking everyone which has been their favorite X-Men film within the Fox franchise. Because after Dark Phoenix, I believe they have New Mutants coming out. But let's face it, we're all not going to count that at this point. And who knows if it even is ever going to come out. (laughs) So Dark Phoenix, though, unofficially putting a cap on uh, the Fox uh, handling of the X-Men property. The reins will then be passed over to Disney, where Marvel Studios and them will take over new casting, so on and so forth. So starting from the 2000 film X-Men all the way till Dark Phoenix. Thoughts, films, fond memories, anyone, what do you got? Well, I'm not excited for Dark Phoenix, I have to say, but um, I actually did enjoy um, some of the newer films in this series. Logan obviously would go down as my favorite, for sure, like hands down. But there is something really cool in X-Men Days of Future Past, even though the movie itself as a whole isn't great. I mean, Michael Fassbender's Magneto, I think, is fantastic. James McAvoy is also great casting. But there's that scene... um, that I just can I never can shake out of my head where um, Evan Peters playing Quicksilver and it's like that um that to time in a bottle and he's basically like moving all of the items around in this action sequence so that when time like restarts um all of the sequence of events has changed I love that scene like I love that scene so much it's probably would make a top you know, scene list for me of the last decade and in, in several places. So I have to give a shout out to that film, but um, I still think Logan did something really special. My friend JD Duran uh, listed another moment from X-Men Days of Future Past, which is my favorite moment in the movie as well. And that is the moment where the two uh, Charles Xavier's played by Patrick Stewart and James McAvoy have a scene together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely bone chilling. So good. Really, really love that moment. Uh, for me, Logan is easily number one. I think along with The Dark Knight, it's like one of the most transcendent, best superhero movies ever made. Uh, but then in second place, you know, it's like th- this is where things start to get a little tricky because on one hand, I really do love X-Men Days of Future Past a lot. But I also really love X2, X-Men United. I, which, you know, it's interesting because b- before Marvel, uh, before like all these Iron Man and everything else like came out, X2 was considered along with Spider-Man 2 to be like one of the best superhero movies ever made. So it's very, very interesting to see like how time and other movies since then have uh, affected that. And then I got to say, I got to say for Deadpool, you know, Deadpool, when it first came out, was very fresh, very original, did something very true. different. That's true. So that stands out quite a lot. Uh, then there's some really crappy movies in here, <laughs> like X Men Origins Wolverine is oh still my gosh. awful. It's still awful. Terrible. X Men Apocalypse, a uh, huge disappointment. I felt like, especially when you have Oscar Isaac uh, as a wasted villain in many ways as uh, Apocalypse in that film. So yeah, there's a, uh, you know, quite a few blunts, uh, blunders in here. OG X Men is my favorite from 2000. Now why is that? Do you think? I guess something about the story with uh, Professor X and Magneto, their relationship, and seeing, you know, the two paths that they took and 
introducing all the characters. I actually like a few of these movies. I like that. I like X2. Uh, is a Future Pass, First Class, Logan. There are a few good ones in there. Even The Wolverine was pretty decent. You know, so Michael, actually, to- you know what's really funny? Uh, before you said The Wolverine, all of those movies you actually just, just mentioned, to a certain extent, all touch upon the Magneto-Professor Charles relationship, the strongest, I think. There's like a thorough line there. That's what's appealing to me. I think that's always been what grounded me in the stories here. I don't care about Deadpool. I don't care about Dark Phoenix necessarily. But when you see like the school for gifted mutants and all these characters being introduced, I really respond to that. And I'll never forget the opening scene to X-Men in uh, Auschwitz. I think that's a really bold move to introduce this franchise. So I'll never forget that. And they're good. They're pretty decent movies. I'm sad to see them sort of go off the rails toward the end, but we'll always have what started nearly 20 years ago. I have to say, X-Men First Class, seeing the early relationship between those two characters and what ultimately does break them apart. You know, it's funny how like the the bond uh, shared between those two and to a, to a lesser extent, kind of the uh, the bromance uh, fan fiction that uh, people have created between uh, uh, James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender. <laughs> if you go on Tumblr, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, there's uh, quite a there's quite a lot of there's a whole world that I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also too, uh, you know, and just tying also back a little bit to um, Pride Month as well. You know, some of the early X Men films really touched upon. Um, you know, what it meant to be different from others in society and was really commenting uh, on the the gay community uh, during that time and making a lot of uh, metasocial commentary that uh, at the time was very, I don't want to say radical, but for a mainstream blockbuster film, it was definitely something that it was there, but it was very subtle. And you had to like really be consciously aware of it to, to notice it in the film. But it was definitely something that was present uh, throughout. So I really commend those movies for always including uh, that message of uh, diversity, inclusion, and acceptance of those that are different from us. All right. And now before we get to uh, fan feedback and some questions, we got a second trailer to talk about here today. And that is, I think, officially our first Oscar contender trailer of the season uh, yes directed by john crowley who gave us brooklyn starring ansel elgort and nicole kidman sarah paulson jeffrey wright luke wilson this here is the goldfinch let's take a look in amsterdam i dreamt i saw my mother again same beautiful pale blue eyes Her. I lost sight of any landmark that might have led me someplace happier. You're the boy, aren't you? The boy whose mother was killed. Feel afraid sometimes. 
never know what's going to decide your future. That cinematography. I don't know. I don't know who this DP is, but he's going places. <laughs> I mean, Roger I, Deakins. Uh, I think it, is. I, it says here he's an Oscar winner. That can't be right. Deakins does not get Oscars. Okay, that was all fine and good. I just liked seeing Jeffrey Wright like a whole bunch of times. So that, I that think we got to pencil that guy in for a supporting yep. actor nomination. Oh, that, how cool would that be? I'm going to be the. I'm going to be the lame duck of this conversation and I'm going to just say straight up front and center that I do not think that this will be a big Oscar contender. I, kind I don't of think agree. it's going to be a big Oscar contender, but apparently people who have read the book and are familiar with the stories say if there's anything to come out of it, Jeffrey Wright has a pretty nice part. Has anyone read it? I haven't. I haven't either. Uh, neither have I. Synopsis. As a child... Theo survives a terrorist bombing at an art museum and attack that kills his mother, Audrey. From there, he tumbles through a series of adventures that finds him living in Las Vegas with his alcoholic father, Larry, and later involved in art forgeries. It is a Pulitzer Prize winning book that the film is based on, which is always really, really nice for your marketing headlines. Yeah, really popular book. I've heard from a lot of people that have read the book when the trailer first dropped that they were a little unsure about how this was going to translate. And to me, I feel like I'm getting beautiful boy vibes from this, not in terms of story or aesthetically or anything like that at all. narrative. But just in terms of this is a, a movie that we look at on paper and see the trailer and we think this is going to be a contender. And then just as the season goes on, uh, it gets okay reviews, not necessarily strong, and it just kind of fizzles out. You know what I mean? Yeah, I could see that. Or I see it maybe being something that gets like a couple nominations, but nothing that's like, you know, a best picture contender. I agree with that. And so you have Peter Strawn who did the adaptation, which is funny because we were just talking on the room podcast about Frank and he's, he did that or he did that right. Or he wrote that along with, I think the director as well. And then, um, but he also did the snowman, which I don't know. So, wow. (laughs) I'm looking at what he's done here. He did that, but he's also an Oscar nominee. Yeah. For Tinker Taylor. Yeah. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Yeah, he's all over the place. What we have to remember about this upcoming Oscar season is that everything will be moved up two weeks because of this the truncated season. So Mm -hmm. even though this is a September release here, it's basically early October if we're looking at it in that context. Yeah. 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 So I don't think the mid-September release is something that's necessarily going to hurt it. I think it's just going to be so packed in the middle of the season that things want to get out ahead. And look, remember Battle of the Sexes a couple of years ago? That didn't exactly land with Oscars as we had hoped, but it was still a great movie. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I am with you on that. 
I, mm, you know what? I think it's just safe. If you want to play it safe in your predictions, I would I would pencil in Roger Deakins for a nomination. Uh, but hesitantly so because he also has 1917 coming out. Unless if he has another year where he gets double nominated again, uh, I would say 1917 is probably the more likely choice, which leads me back to my original comment. I, I think this is a film that too early on, not the strongest reviews to sustain it all the way through, and I think it will fizzle out. But that's not to say that I think it's going to be bad. I just don't think it's going to make the lasting impact that it needs to make it through uh, till the end of the year. Also, too, I have to say, and I mean, no disrespect, Ansel Elgort is also not the most intriguing male lead to me on a personal level. Um, I think he's fine in Baby Driver, but I don't know. Something about him, I, I he hasn't proven to me yet that he's uh, somebody that's capable of handling a film like this yet. You know what I mean? He is to me on a visual level, but I don't know what that has to do with talent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be. Maybe this will be his chance, though. Maybe this will turn that table a little bit. And um, Finn Wolfhard, I have to tell you, I didn't even recognize him from like until actually I looked at um, the IMDb afterward, and I was like, oh my god, that's the kid from It and Stranger Things. I didn't even recognize him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, so that is coming out on September 13th. And I expect, actually, no, I don't expect because it'll come out, I think, before TIFF by that point. Or maybe that is during TIFF. No, this, this screams TIFF, maybe even opening night to me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So it'll be placed like probably right, right in the middle of TIFF, if anything. So, yeah, that makes sense. All right. So definitely one to look out for. Like I said, I'm not holding my breath over it necessarily, but hey, you know, it's got Nicole Kidman. I'll see anything that my girl Kidman is in. Yeah. It doesn't look like she's in it a lot. No. Yeah. No. Uh, And, you know, uh, Michael, I share your sentiment, too, with Jeffrey Wright. I want to see that man get an Oscar nomination at some point. He's such an incredible actor. Uh, I just don't know if this is I just don't know if this is it. It's a baity part. People are saying the question is, does the movie translate the way it Mm -hmm. needs to? Right. If it does the bare minimum, I think he could get in. All right. So questions for this week. Uh, last week on the podcast, we were talking about music biopics and uh, some potential movies we want to see happen. Will talked about some ones coming out in the future. So Richard Houlihan asks us, do we have any dream casting for any music biopics that we want to see happen? For example, I would love to see Alfie Allen play Mick Jagger. Oh, I, for some reason, when I, and this has nothing to do with the way he sings, I think it has more to do with his eyes and the fact that I, he could pull this off. But when I saw Star is Born, all I could think is if, if I have my dream Fleetwood Mac biopic, I'm going back to this. I think that Bradley Cooper could do an interesting Lindsey Buckingham, get him a nice curly hairdo and have him play some guitar and count me in. Nice. Michael, any thoughts? Oh, I'm still thinking about this one. Uh, God, there's so many that we talked about last week. Uh, come back to me. I, I, also, I, think about this. I also did see people on Twitter already campaigning for Billy Lore to play Stevie Nicks, and I'm also in for that. I, I am totally, so here for that. That would be awesome. All aboard the Billy Lord hype train. Oh, my God. I would love to see the Karen Carpenter story brought to the big screen. I, like, I'm trying to think who I would cast. Um... It would definitely have to be, I don't know, I, I I can't think of someone great off the top of my head, but I'm going to think about it, and then I'm going to post it. Okay, I've got one now. Going back to an idea I proposed last week, I want to see the Irving Berlin musical biopic. 
because, like I said, there's a really interesting story about a Russian Jewish immigrant who came to America and wrote God Bless America. And my dream casting there, I'm thinking about actors who are in their mid to late 50s who could pull off Irving Berlin. How about Michael Stuhlbarg? Yes. Oh, nice. Let's get let's get that man an, an Oscar nomination. Let's. Yeah, it's a overdue. He should have gotten it a decade ago. Well, yeah. But uh, you know, he needs it. This is a story that should be told. Let's get the ball rolling there. <laughs> All righty. Next question for this week. This one comes from HLVD Movies. Which is more likely to be nominated for Best Original Song at the Oscars? Speechless from Aladdin or I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocketman or both. However, I think Cats, Lion King, Frozen, Toy Story also will contend in other spots. I saw someone make a point on Twitter recently to keep in mind about Rocketman Oscar potential. Elton John hosts maybe the biggest Oscar party for Hollywood every year. I'm just going to... I'm just going to leave that there. I'm just going to put that out there. So a costume design nomination. Yeah. <laughs> He's probably going to write a song for The Lion King, and that's probably going to get in. Fair. So I haven't seen these two songs. Uh, you you guys have. Michael, you've seen both. Matt, you've seen both. So what do you guys think? Speechless isn't very good. Speechless is going to make the short list, but I am not predicting it to get a nomination. So, yeah, no, I don't think he's very right now. Actually, now that is I say a... I think I'm going to love me again is going to get a good old Golden Globe nomination, and that'll Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely that. Is Randy Newman doing anything for Toy Story 4? Yes. Okay, then he's getting in. He's gotten in for the yeah. others. Uh, this one comes from Swamp Thing at... I apologize. I cannot say the Twitter handle, but type in Swamp Thing. I'm sure it'll come up. So... Robert Pattinson was chosen as the new Batman for the Matt Reeves film, but who would you like to see cast in the new Batman movie alongside him? Kristen Stewart. Oh, come on. I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I, well, they've. I think they've said that, they have said that uh, Catwoman and the Penguin uh, will be characters in this upcoming film. And I know that we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, a gender reversal for the penguin. Like if you had Olivia Coleman playing uh, the penguin, which was something that I kind of scoffed at at first. And I was like, I don't know if that'd be the right thing to do. But at the same time, now that I have had time to think about it, I was like, huh, you know what? That could actually be quite fun. A scenery chewing Olivia Coleman as a DC Batman villain could actually be quite delicious. If you ask me. <laughs> It's so funny because I saw so many people when they said that they were thinking about doing Catwoman. I saw so many people saying, just just cast Michelle Pfeiffer again. <laughs> I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I think she's amazing and all, but come on. <laughs> I don't know. I You know, it's, this is one of those things where I don't really give it too, many, too much thought, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm not really that obsessed as so many people are with this property. Even though, you know, I love Batman. I just feel like he's been done to death at this point in Hollywood. So I'm really hoping that whatever Pattinson and Matt Reeves are hoping to bring to the role, I actually do have confidence that they will bring something different to it. That I believe. Because Matt Reeves has proven to be a very good director. And Pattinson wouldn't just choose this role because he has said that he openly regrets doing the Twilight films. And he's also somebody who doesn't like the level of attention 
that they brought to him. And he works with directors and takes on parts that he just simply likes now, regardless of how big the role is or whatever it might be. So him choosing to do this, he has specific reasons for wanting to do it. It's not just, oh, I want a paycheck or, oh, I get to be Batman. He wants to work with Matt Reeves. So I think that you have to look outside the box then in regards to um, not like who would be the biggest name or anything like that to play these villains alongside him, but who would be the right people? You know what I mean? So I've, because I've heard some people say stuff like, oh, Zendaya should play uh, Catwoman. And I'm like, she's also like a really big celebrity type. I, you know, I, I would say think, think, think maybe a little bit smaller than that. You know, maybe, maybe someone also from the indie art house world. Maybe like Riley Keough. Sure. There you go. I like that. Yeah. I was talking about this actually with my friends and my boyfriend the other day. And we were, I think talking about like comedians turned dramatic actors kind of, cause we were discussing like, Bill Hader is the Riddler. Um, oh, that would be fantastic. Yeah, and then one of them also suggested Zach Galifianakis as the Penguin. Just a thought. What about Bill Camp as the Penguin? Oh, yeah, that'd be perfect. <laughs> or Michael Stuhlbarg. Yeah, um, you know what? That would be really fun. That would be a lot of fun. I, I just want to see Michael Stuhlbarg get more to do. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's one of our best character actors. Who's the... um? Who's the girl right now in Killing Eve that is just, like, crushing it right now? That's not oh, Sandra um, Oh. Jodie Comer? Is that her name? Yeah. Ooh, she could play Catwoman. Uh, two personal questions to finish off the podcast here. Uh, Mika asks, what are your top favorite films and why? Uh, not for any specific reason. They just feel like we, they get an idea of who we are a little bit better when they understand what our top favorite films are. Uh, I'm not going to go through like my list or anything like that. I'll, I'll just put it out there. I, you've all heard me say to death that my favorite film is Lord of the Rings. I think that's not a surprise to anyone. However, films that I've not mentioned before uh, that are also some of my favorite films of all time are Apocalypse Now, Network, Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind, and I'll throw one more out there, Taxi Driver. My, what I, what I always tell people are my three favorite films, and I think give a perfect um, encapsulation of the things that I like, are Silence of the Lambs, It's a Wonderful Life, and Little Miss Sunshine. I think that perfectly encompasses all my film interests, and Meet Me in St. Louis. If I had to pick a musical, that's my film-watching enjoyment all rolled into one. I'm going to just uh, say Michael's. Poppins, Wait. the producers. Nah, <laughs> For me, it's uh, the producers when Harry met Sally, singing in the rain, Chicago, Mary Poppins, Sunday music, Hannah and her sisters. I, I could keep going. I, I was hoping you were going to say one that I haven't heard you say before, uh, but damn it, I could see all that jazz, Beauty and the Beast. Nope. Graduate. <laughs> there we go. I've never heard you say that one before. Okay, there we go. Michael, the graduates in my top 10, too. I think The Graduate is one of the most perfectly directed films of all time. Uh, that's a film where like every single shot has purpose behind it. It is so well constructed. It's unbelievable. Pitch perfect. Pitch, pitch perfect. There's a reason like Nichols won Best Director. Absolutely. Uh, Deanne? I would be the original alien for sure. I, I love Moulin Rouge. I don't care what anybody says. And Whiplash. Those would probably be the three like that jumped to my mind. I love It's a Wonderful Life. That would be in my top ten. Um, but it's kind of always a changing list. All right. And then the final question for this week's podcast. Uh, this is a this is a big question. Something that I feel like we could spend an entire podcast talking about potentially, but let's let's do our best here. At Colby Told Me asks, how much in NBP's opinion is film criticism subjective versus objective? 
I think it's always subjective. The question is, you know, in, in every critic that you view, everything's always going to be subjective. But how far can people get away from that? I try to be objective, and it is impossible to always be objective. But I always try to be. That's the best way I can put it. Subjectivity is how we live our lives. You could only view something from the lens of your own personal life. But there's also, I think, something to be said, too, for acknowledging and being understanding and empathetic of how other people will also view and having that maybe factor into your viewpoint. Oh, of course. That's not to say that you can only view things that fit the way that you see the world. But those factors go into influence. Like one, of, like one of my least favorite forms of criticism is when people say, I didn't like this. And then when I say, but what about all the people that did? They're just like, I don't care. I didn't like it. It's like, I, I, I don't got time for that, you know? Yeah, and I think it's understanding there's a difference between something being good or bad and you liking it or disliking it. And I think it's understanding that, like there's be some movies that are very well made, but you might not like it. So it's understanding you know, those differences and being able to address both of them. Yeah, I think it's impossible not to say that it's subjective, but I, I'll say something that really stood out to me. Probably about a year, year and a half ago, there was a quote from um, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro talking about using criticism to talk about the things that we love. And I like—I really liked that because the reason that I like doing this is because I think that there's so much that needs to be celebrated that sometimes doesn't get celebrated. And I like spending time kind of talking about that type of, um, that, that side of things rather than focusing on the things that I don't like as much. That's fair. You know, it's interesting because sometimes I like to watch things that aren't, in my mind, objectively that great. Because it actually kind of helps me then when I do watch things that are objectively good. Like what separates good from great then? And and, and one could say, oh, it's your own subjectivity. But I do believe just as someone who did go to film school, did learn a lot about screenwriting and has written before. I think I think that there is certain things that can be followed. But then at the same time, they always talk about how rules are meant to be broken. Right. So, hey, at the end of the day, it's whatever does connect to you on either an aesthetic level, a personal level, an emotional level, whatever it might be. You either connect to it or you don't. But uh, once again, the only thing I will say is that for me, I just don't have time for people. Like when I read some, some people's reviews or if I watch conversations that take place on film Twitter, just very, very narrow minded, dismissive people. I, I, I can't stand that. Yeah, I agree with that. To me, the most fascinating thing about what we do is the conversation. Yeah. You know, our Godzilla King and the Monsters podcast, I went into it knowing like, okay, I didn't like this. How are we going to have a conversation based around it? And what was the most pleasant surprise of all was that we had two people on that liked it and two people on that didn't like it. And had it just been the two people that didn't like it, it would not have been as fascinating of a conversation. Totally. So I think having all that different opinions out there and having them all come together... Uh, that's what creates a very healthy environment. Yeah, and that's something that I, prior to joining, what I loved about listening was that anytime anything was criticized, it never felt like it was coming from a negative or hateful place necessarily. And it felt like it could, you guys have honest conversations. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's a good space to have. Oh, well, thank you, Casey. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, everyone. So we're going to close out uh, episode 145 now. Michael, tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Deanne? At Twitter, 
Um, at Twitter, on Twitter, at <laughs> Casey Lee Clark. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 145 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, leave us a comment, rate us five stars, let us know what you think of the show. And if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. 